New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Picture yourself sitting in a meeting at work, and one of your colleagues says something that makes you feel awful. Instead of expressing your feelings, you repress them and begin to harbor and nurture hateful thoughts towards your colleague. Without realizing it, you're projecting anger silently but powerfully into the room. These toxic thoughts have as much impact on those around you as if you were punching and kicking everyone in the room. Transforming the negative energy of toxic thoughts serves as the focus for this edition of New Dimensions with our guest, Sandra Ingerman. Sandra Ingerman is a licensed marriage and family therapist and professional mental health counselor in New Mexico. She teaches workshops on shamanism around the world and was formerly the educational director of the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, directed by Michael Harner. Sandra is recognized for bridging ancient cross-cultural healing methods, which address the needs of our times, into our modern-day culture. She's the author of Soul Retrieval, Mending the Fragmented Self, a Fall to Grace, Medicine for the Earth, Shamanic Journeying, A Beginner's Guide, which is a book and CD published by Sounds True, and How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, Simple Tools for Personal Transformation. Join us for the next hour as we explore how we can transform our toxic thoughts with our guest, Sandra Ingerman. My name is Michael Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Sandra, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. Yeah. Sandra, you opened the book with a dream mm-hmm. that you had. Tell yeah. us about that dream. Um, in my dream, I was at an office, and I was standing around the um, uh, coffee machines, the water coolers, with a bunch of folks at the office. And I looked around, and I noticed that there were... The only way I could phrase it is psychic punches going to different people. So everybody standing around was smiling, but underneath those smiles, there was a different energy, and there were punches going across the room. And in my dream, I was saying, did you feel that? And then to another person, I would say, did you see what you were doing? And I woke up from the dream realizing that this is how most of us live our lives, where we're in situations where everybody's smiling, trying to be gracious, but what's underneath that smile, those unspoken energies are being um, tossed around the room and to each other. Why do you think we we pre- repress them and don't express them? What, what, what motivates us to do that? What? Well, you know, in indigenous cultures uh, where it's really understood the manifestation of 
of invisible energy. So people are taught in indigenous cultures the difference between expressing what's coming up and sending what's coming up as a psychic dart or a psychic arrow or a gunshot, you know, when we get triggered. In our culture, because we no longer look at the invisible aspect of energy anymore, we don't look at the invisible worlds, the hidden worlds, we don't look at the invisible aspect of energy, we're not trained that what we're thinking and what we're feeling can actually have an impact on others unless we learn how to express them in a healthy fashion. But we grew up in a culture where we were not taught that you could actually send hate to another person. Um, and, you know, we were taught to um, contain our feelings. Um, you know, different cultures have different beliefs and around um, whether it's not okay, whether it's okay or not to actually express yourself. What it, what's coming up for you? It's better to stuff what's coming up for you yes. and not let other people know what you're really thinking because it puts you into a vulnerable position. Um, you could even go beyond um, shamanism into all different spiritual traditions. Um, if you look at any of the old esoteric literature about the Bible, it's all talking about what you think grows. Um, you know, your thoughts are what create your life. Um, the power of words. Shamans used healing words when they told their stories to heal their patients. And in all the old esoteric literature, it's talked about how important the power of word is and what you speak in your life. I think of the uh, let there be light, mm -hmm. and the power of the words, and, and, the, and also the intention Right. Intention has a lot of uh, lot to do with it, doesn't it? Absolutely. In, um, in a lot of my classes, I teach about the power of word. And I have people, if they're trained in shamanism, we actually do what's called a shamanic journey into the hidden worlds to talk to spirits about this issue. If they're not trained in shamanic journey, like I've done um, experiential exercises with doctors at conferences and all um, people from all walks of life, where I'll have people close their eyes and start to say words to themselves and actually watch the energy that goes up into the universe that ends up raining back down on them. And to start to be more conscious about the words we're actually speaking out loud and that this is one place we could start to create change on the planet right now is watching the energy that's going out behind our words. And so when I've had people do these visualizations and when I've had people do these shamanic journeys, one of the messages that comes back from a lot of people is it's not just the word, it's the intention behind the word. So it's a common principle that people are bringing back. Uh, one of the things going back earlier uh, that, that the, the indigenous culture, the spirit lives in everything. Spirit lives right. in all life. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the principles, yes? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the energy, the, when we put this out, I mean, I, I'm thinking of the energy of violence, mm -hmm. that there's an energetic of violence, right? Right. And, and that's the point of, of how to heal toxic thoughts. And I also wrote about this in Medicine for the Earth. You know, if you say you want peace... And so many of us want peace. But if you look at the energy around our um, 
conversations around wanting peace, they're violent. They're violent energetically. If you look at peace rallies, they're violent. And so... um, No more war. No more war. (laughs) Yeah. So you have to think about what are we actually feeding? Which energy? We're actually, if you look at um, what most people think about during the day, we're actually sending more energy into the situations that in our heart we want to end, but we're not disciplined in how to work with the energy that we're sending out. And so the point that I'm trying to make, because this gets very misunderstood, is I'm not saying it's not okay to be angry, sad, frustrated, depressed, have fear come up. It's that What we need to do in a modern-day culture is to realize that there's actually an energy behind these um, thoughts and how to transmute or transform that energy so that we're not sending it out and feeding the war machines or or more violence in the world. Um, But we are human beings, and we have a right to our emotions. It's just what we do with the energy around them. Yes, there was a you you the Gandhi quote: "Be the change you want to see in the world," right. uh, and you rephrase that: "It is not what we do that changes the world; it is who we become." Right. Yes, and so we've actually um, through my medicine for the earth work, we've actually done um, experiments with water, where we'll take water and we'll intentionally pollute it with ammonium hydroxide, which is a common pollutant on the planet, and we put the water in the middle of the circle. And there's a lot of preparation. This isn't a very fast um, experiment. And I actually have the participants not focus on the water, but only focus on themselves um, using the esoteric principle of as above, so below, as within, so without. And that the pollution that we're seeing in the world today is only mirroring back to us our own inner pollution, our own inner state of consciousness. So I teach people how to move into a place of spiritual light, how to move into a place of divinity, forget that the water's in the middle of the room. And in all of our experiments so far since the year 2000, the water has changed on some level, um, teaching people that um, that's where we have power right now to create change, is we have power to create our own inner states of consciousness. And as we change our own inner states of consciousness, the outer world will change around us and reflect that back to us. I'm just thinking that those of us who live in this culture, we're surrounded uh, by messages all the time that are um, telling us to be scared and to be fearful and right. to watch out. You better watch out. And, and, and so if you, you know, if you read the front page of the newspaper or listen to the headlines or watch the 6 o'clock news, um, you're going to really be in a place, in a state where it's hard to be positive. It's hard right. to really find any energy to deal with that. Well, what, do you, right. what do you say about that? Well, you know, it's a big issue right now because I travel around the world. And, you know, there's so many spiritual people who believe it's too late. The world has gone too far. There's no way to turn back. And I am not one of those people. I'm an eternal optimist. Um, I absolutely believe we have um, we have a lot of power to change what's happening. I can understand when people look at the news and read the newspapers, which I do every day, so I know where people are coming from, that you start to feel powerless. 
But again, if we go back to the esoteric principles that have been around for thousands and thousands of years, where we have power is in the spiritual work that we do. And every tradition, I've looked at every single spiritual tradition, and one of the common teachings is everything starts on a spiritual level before it manifests on the physical. So where all of us have the power to create change right now and to move into a place of hope and optimism is realizing that we can start to work with our inner states of consciousness. And when you're feeling fear to ask that that energy be transformed to an energy of love and light so that we're not sending more fear out into the world. So it reminds me of your of your just describing the difference between decrees and petitions. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I work a lot with the power of words trying to teach people how to work with the power of words. And so much so many of us in our culture have learned how to beg please help me, um, which there is a time for that, definitely. We, we're all brought down to our knees during life. But there's such a difference if you say, please help me, versus all the help I need is around me right now. And that is a statement of power, um, where petition is begging it's and, like a magnet. It, it attracts the, the energy. Exactly. Yes. And it, it, has, it has a higher frequency to it. When you use a decree of all the help I need is right here, right now, and being held in the loving arms of the universe, it has a much higher frequency than um, please help me, please love me. Um, it, it, it's a different vibration, and you're going to create something different. We're going to continue our conversation with Sandra Ingerman, author of How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, Simple Tools for Personal Transformation. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. guest is Sandra Ingerman, and we're exploring how we can transform our toxic thoughts or transmute them and uh, how we can uh, become really more fulfilled and uh, more alive and not be so depressed and frustrated with the times we live in. Sandra, we were talking about decrees and petitions, mm-hmm. and one of the things in, in the book you have, you have the Celtic prayers that, uses dec- that use decrees, deep peace of the running waves to you, deep peace of the flowing air to you, Deep peace of the quiet earth to you, deep peace of the shining stars to you, deep peace of the sun of peace to you, and here is a, and then and then the, the following decrees come from the Christian tradition, which is very different. The light of God surrounds me, the love of God enfolds me, the power of God protects me, the presence of God watches over me. 
wherever I am, God is. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about those two differences? There? Well, they're, they're um, both wonderful traditions, of course, and, and we use them for different things. Um, the Celtic people um, were drawing on the power of nature, you know, which is um, typically used in all shamanic cultures, people who live so close to the earth, of really understanding how the power of nature can support us. You know, a classic Celtic prayer, the power of the sun is with me now, um, of how much support, how much um, power, chi, there is in nature that can support us. And God being, again, coming from a more esoteric, coming from a, a different level, that we have those – how I work in my own life with decrees is I combine the two because um, I am a religious person who does believe in God. And so I bring those decrees in, but yet I'm so earth-based, so shamanic. My spiritual practice is shamanism. And so for me, it's also to tune into how I'm one with the earth. On an esoteric level, I'm one with God, and I have that spiritual light within me, and I'm being held in that spiritual light. And also, at the same time, I am part of the earth, and I'm one with the earth, and the earth supports me, the sun supports me, the air supports me, the water supports me. So it's combining those two, which I think are really important. So how do you differentiate between, you mentioned that you're a religious person, and uh, spirituality? Mm-hmm. Is it religion and spirituality, and sometimes they're not the same? Yeah, I, I think it depends. Um, the the beauty for me about shamanism is it's a it goes on the principle of direct revelation where there's no rules and and um, nobody's right. It's whatever your experience is. And when I was a child, I had um, near death experiences. I was hit by lightning when I at the age of seven. Um, when I was very young, uh, Jesus would show up in my room every night before I went to sleep. I'd have actual visions, and I was raised Jewish, so that was not something that— um, Well, he was Jewish. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's not something I would have expected, but yes, I was right. too little to know the difference. And um, and in my near-death experiences, and I had a few um, throughout my life at this point, I met what I would call God. Whether it was an illusion or not, it doesn't matter, but it was such a cellular experience for me of this um, unearthly um, light and this absolute unconditional love. And so, for me, there was always this um, experience of a cre- creative force in the universe that I was part of and not separate of. And there was a real desire on my part to teach people how to use that creative force to manifest joy, love, peace, harmony, abundance, equality for all on the planet. And in shamanism, and I love the practice of shamanism, there's the belief that everything is alive and that there are these intermediary spirits between what maybe in shamanism would be called the power of the universe. If a shaman, if a shamanic culture didn't believe in um, God, there would still be the power of the universe. And there are these intermediary spirits, and then um, as power animal spirits, guardian spirits, um, teachers in human form, and then there's also the spirit of the tree you can talk to, and the spirit of the water, and the spirit of the 
rock and spirit of fire. And so for me personally, they they didn't um, – there was a place in my life for both of them because um, God, for me, uh, didn't see me as a person, as an e- egoic being. And God was just – is just love. And as far as um, evolving in my life and learning about life and uh, depression was a big part of my life and how to move out of that state and find joy, um, that my helping spirits, those intermediary spirits, were able to teach me because they worked with me as an individual. So um, I work with both of them. So. You you lived uh, in or near nature when you were young? No, I actually grew up in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved nature. I loved it. And I had a tree outside my house. And A tree grows in Brooklyn. (laughs) A tree grows in Brooklyn. I came home every day, and um, I sung to the birds in the tree. I loved to um, lie outside of my house at night and watch the moon. I just always loved nature. Well, I guess in that time, the, the, I remember being in Brooklyn uh, uh, many moons ago, where there were backyards and there were right. uh, there were town, there were basically row houses and there were right. but there were backyards and mm-hmm. there were trees and yeah, it, it was uh, very different than Brooklyn is now. Yeah, I haven't been back in a really long time, but yeah, no, we had a we had a small backyard, but we had a backyard. Yes, yeah. yes. So what? Um, how did you get from Brooklyn <laughs> to, uh, you know, to California, shaman. New Mexico, shamanism? <laughs> right. How did that? Well, um, I grew up in the 60s. So between my near-death experiences and my drug experiences, and I was part of that whole era of um, demonstrating against the Vietnam War and had gotten into... Uh, psychedelics and the Grateful Dead and all of that. I just, at the age of 18, I said, there has to be someplace outside of Brooklyn, and I'm going to find it. (laughs) And so um, I moved to the Uh Haight-Ashbury, and um, the Haight had died, but I didn't know it. Um, It was in 1971, 1972. They had buried it in Golden Gate Park. Yes. And um, I I lived— become actually a heroin— yeah. District, really. Yeah, yeah, it was really quite depressing. And I stayed there for 13 years and really watched it grow. Um, I went to school. I got my BA in marine biology at San Francisco State. And then I realized that I really wanted to work with people. And somebody at State told me about um, a private graduate school that at the time was called the California Institute of Asian Studies. Now it's called the California Institute of Integral Studies. And I ended up going there. It was all fate. It was just amazing how, you know how sometimes the universe just picks you up and puts you down somewhere. And and that's exactly what happened to me. And I was, I couldn't afford the school. So I was taking 16 units a quarter and working 60 hours a week to put myself through school. And somebody came into the office at the school one day and said a man was coming out from Connecticut. He was teaching a workshop, and I could get two easy units, and I just signed my name. I never looked at what the workshop was. (laughs) And uh, it was Michael Harner teaching a beginning workshop on shamanic journeying. And I had such a profound experience um, in that workshop 
that it really became my life. That was Halloween of 1980, and I'm still practicing and teaching. Interesting, uh, auspicious day to yeah. have, that, have, <laughs> have an epiphany like That's that. That's right. Yeah. Really. It, was, it was a marvelous experience. And again, for me, why it was so marvelous was I did meet um, intermediary spirits who saw me as a person and who could give me guidance. And also... Um, Although I was such a spiritual child and then moved into psychedelics and there was so much spirituality um, in that for me, but I had no form to practice. I had no form for the work, and shamanic journeying gave me a form that I was actually able to engage in. Yeah. So it was, it was an amazing gift. And I was talking to somebody on the phone the other day of, all the things, because it was not an easy choice for me to make to go to the California Institute. Um, it yes. was just too expensive. Yes. And all the things that could have um, stopped me from making that decision and how I did it and where my life ended up to. And I could have gone to San Francisco State for free and gotten my degree in counseling, but there... Um, what they uh, focused on was behavioral uh, psychology. So I uh, could. Sounded kind of psychology yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I could be a behavioral <laughs> psychologist right now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, that's a great teaching because a great lesson for us all because it's like you followed your dream and, mm -hmm. and you didn't allow money to stop you, didn't allow right. not having enough, and you basically chose how to, you, you created how to do it. You, right. You did have to really. Um, work hard to do that. I mean, you had to really give of yourself to do that. Right. But often that that's what's required. Yeah. You know, I've been training teachers um, for the last few years, and I've trained 200 incredible teachers teaching shamanism around the world. And the message that I keep on telling them all the time is persistence. You know, you just have to be persistent. You can't think that you just advertise one workshop and you don't you're going to get 40, 50 people. Yes. All the great teachers started with small groups and stayed persistent. Yes. And things came over time for yes. them. Yeah, and I think we look at teachers like Jesus. I mean, there was only mm -hmm. a few people around him initially. Right. And then it just built over time. Right. Word spreads. Yeah, yeah. and he only and that was all word of mouth. It was before uh, uh, email and <laughs> cell phones. That's the and, internet. Yeah, right. Web pages. Yeah, exactly. You didn't have a web page, right? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, it's funny. The, uh, there's a phrase you use called alchemy of the soul. Mm -hmm. What does that phrase mean? Well, alchemy is an interesting word, and a lot of people misunderstand the word alchemy. Some people think that alchemy was about changing physically changing uh, lead into gold. And actually, the word alchemy is an Aramaic word, and the definition of it is working within and through the deep darkness inside. So, um, as I'm using alchemy in this book, it's about working through those um, negative states of consciousness and really being willing to have the courage to go in and stir up the pot and to really look at the darkness inside of each and every one of us and doing the spiritual work that it takes to turn those states of consciousness into light and love or gold um, consciousness states that the alchemists would talk about. The alchemists called it the great work, when one would take those really dark states of consciousness and transform them into gold light. 
They had lots of trouble with the church, too, at, at different right. times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think probably just like with shamanism and the trouble with the church is that in alchemy, um, you're constantly breaking down the ego and moving into a state of oneness. And whenever we move into a state of oneness, we no longer need a church. Right, um, no longer need the rules, it's, right? it's us. <laughs> it's different, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm speaking with Sandra Ingerman, and she's the author of a number of books, including Soul Retrieval, Mending the Fragment Itself, Medicine for the Earth, and Shamanic Journey in a Beginner's Guide, and How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, Simple Tools for Personal Transformation. If you'd like more information about the work of Sandra, you can you can go to her website, shamanicvisions.com slash Ingerman, I-N-G-E-R-M-A-N, or you can go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. My guest is Sandra Ingerman, and she's the author of How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, Simple Tools for Personal Transformation, which is a very, um, I would say, practical, simple and practical guide to how we can get rid of toxicity in our life. Uh, at least we can diffuse it and dissolve it. And uh, it's not that I think that life's going to be a, a rosy garden all mm -hmm. the time, but uh, we, there's some really great... <clears throat> Uh, tools here, and also the exercises are really wonderful that mm -hmm. you've incorporated throughout the the book itself, and so it's quite useful. We we're talking about the power of words, and I, I was thinking that you used you talked you wrote about an experiment uh, with plant with a plant mm -hmm. where you walked where you speak to the plant and and how the how the you know say well the, you know you basically give energy to the plant mm -hmm. and and the plant actually does better. Right. When, it, when, you, when you give it positive energy as opposed to yes. nothing? Well, what, what, we do, um, what we do in some of my workshops is I get these little like three-inch pots and I bring soil into the workshop and, and then I bring in seeds that will grow, sprout very quickly, you know, parsley, herb seeds. And I actually have people um, pot a little plant and for the whole five days to carry the plant around with them um, into uh, lunch, into dinner, um, into their room when they go to sleep, into class, to really see if, if we use the metaphor of life as being a garden, what are we feeding our garden? Um, and it, it's really very interesting to see if you can really hold throughout the day, and it's part of our spiritual practice is to learn how to do that, feeding love into the garden. Again, you know, you can be at lunch, you know, we're doing all these spiritual practices during our sessions, and then at lunch, you know, big conversation comes up about war and politics. Yes. And, and what's going into that plant? You know, that's what you're feeding your garden of life. And there have been experiments done um, with plants where um, if a plant is not 
is, is not given any energy whatsoever, it fails. It would rather be given some energy, no matter what kind it is. Um, but again, the, the principle that I'm trying to teach in the book is that we can start to look at what we're eating, I mean, because this is going into our actual garden, and what we're eating on, on a physical level, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a daily basis. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why people aren't feeling so well these days, if you think of the energy that we surround ourselves with. Are you a vegetarian? No, I'm not. Um, so... I was thinking as you were talking about how how we feed ourselves, what we take into ourselves. Mm -hmm. So how do you how do you um, how do you deal with eating meat or eating you know eating beef? Well, you know, in a perfect world, we would be back in that place where animals, as they were being killed, were honored. Um, we're not put into a fear place. Um, we're not being treated like they are today. But one thing that we can do is when we do cook food to bless uh, what gave its life so that we can eat and to make sure that you're cooking with love. Um, before I got into shamanism, um, <clears throat> I had lots of time in you know, when I wasn't working, I didn't have anything but work. And I love to bake for people. And my presentation was terrible. I mean, I made the funniest <laughs> looking cakes and breads, but I could not keep up with the orders. And it took me a really long time to figure out that when I baked, what all I thought about was how much I loved what I was doing and how much I loved the people I was baking for. And they were picking up on that. It took me a while to figure that out because you wouldn't buy anything I baked by looking at what it looked like. <laughs> and so, you know, it, when you're at cooking dinner and you're chopping carrots and you're thinking about how much you hate um, everybody at work, you're eating that. Um, so I think, I think that, again, food is not grown. Um, food is not killed in an honoring fashion any longer, but we can still cook it in an honoring uh, fashion and always, of course, bless the life uh, that died so that we may live. Yes. Uh, I was thinking of the culture, the Tibetan indigenous culture, how uh, they actually would have Muslims kill the Mm. The uh, the the llamas or the or the uh, critters that they were eating as far as meat. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I've had to deal with it over my life. I've I've been vegetarian on and off, and I'm one of those people. Um, my roots are from Russia, and I really do get sick. I get very ill um, on a vegetarian diet, and it's been an issue for me because I'd love. On a rational, spiritual level, I'd yes. love to be vegetarian, and, sure. I, and I actually start to get very sick. So I've had to learn how to bring spiritual practices into everything that I eat. And one of the practices that I teach people, and I wrote about in How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, is um, with all the elements, when you eat, see that you're eating light. When you drink water, you're drinking light. Uh, when you take in the sun, you're taking in light. When you breathe, you're breathing in light. 
So in living in such a polluted world, and one of the things that we know from different spiritual teachings is your perception creates your reality. Yes. If you believe you're eating toxic food, you're eating toxic food. So one of the changes that we can um, bring into our lives is as we eat to realize that it is spiritual light on, on a, a spiritual level. We're eating divine light. We're breathing divine light. And I actually tried this in New York City. I was teaching a workshop in New York City, and I had the group go out on the street for about half an hour, 45 minutes, and stay with the principle that they were breathing in pure light. And they all came back really feeling that something had changed for them on a very big level. So, you know, there's always things that we can do with our perception, working with our perception to start to create more health, um, again, on every level in our life. There was a story that you account, uh, recounted in the book about, um, I think, people that came from Vietnam or Thailand or whatever. Right. Yeah, tell us that story. In Cambodia. This Cambodia. Was, yeah. This was an amazing story. One of my uh, workshop participants told me this. Before she ever got into anything spiritual, she was standing on one of those really long... Um, ladies' room lines. And there was a woman from Cambodia standing next to her, and she just started to tell her the story of her life. And um, her father had uh, was assassinated during the political change, and the family had to leave in the middle of the night with no food, no money, no clothes, no anything. And at some point, they realized that they were starving, and they found some very dirty rice, and they ate it, and it was good, and nobody got sick, and they were so grateful for the food. And then they realized that they were very thirsty, and they came to a river with dead bodies floating down the river, and they didn't see the dead bodies, but all they saw was water, and they drank the water. They were very thirsty, and nobody got sick. And here she was standing online telling um, this woman I had met this story, with no bitterness of, listen what happened to me in my life and feel sorry for me. Um, the energy around it was my family had to leave. When we were hungry, we found rice and we ate it. And when we were thirsty, we found water and we drank it and we got everything that we needed. And there was just a tremendous amount of love in how she shared that. And it's really an amazing story to think about it of how our perception um, really colors what we end up taking in. Nobody in this family got sick. So. Yeah, it is, it is an amazing story. And, and it just, it's like, um, I don't think we realize the, the we don't rec realize the power mm -hmm. that, that we actually have inside ourselves. Right. Right. How, how we can actually change things. And, and the point that I made in, in this book and also Medicine for the Earth, which is kind of a bigger version of this book, is if one mystic throughout the ages could do that, could take in poison and transmute it, it means we all have the ability to do that, going again back to the principle of oneness. And we have so many stories of people being able to do that. And so it means that we all have to tap into that spiritual power 
um, to thrive. I know that we all want to thrive during these coming times, and there is a way to do that. Um, We do have a potential that we're not tapping into. One of the, uh, I want to go back to the power of words and working with the energy behind our words and mm-hmm. and the idea of having um, uh, mantras or sayings, the things that we can say. Uh, the one that occurs to me, the one that I remember as a young person coming across was Alibaba in the 40s, Abracadabra. Right. And you broke that down as to what that actually meant. Means, yeah. Um, that, that whole nature of that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when we were running around as children saying abracadabra, abracadabra is actually Aramaic, and the Aramaic term is abrak adhabra, and it literally means I will create as I speak. So when we were saying abracadabra, we were saying I will create as I speak, and we are. We're constantly, constantly Um, creating as we speak. And so I think that we really have to start to look at um, what is manifesting in our lives that isn't working. What are the thoughts and words that we're using that might be feeding those manifestations that aren't working for us and starting to find um, other ways of working. So I keep postums, um, post-its on my desk, and one of my favorite words is radiance. You know, it has a great deal of power and energy around it. Um, every time I, I mention that I've written a new book, How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, people immediately bring up driving, immediately bring up driving, because the rage driving in this country has gotten so awful. Um, so I put post-its in my car. You know, so I can just kind of look down at the word harmony um, when I'm getting ready to um, get angry at somebody who's tailgating me or something like that. So there, there, there are simple ways that we can start to work to start to change our state of consciousness. Also how to transmute the fumes that you might be breathing when right. you're in rush hour traffic <laughs> exactly. on the freeway. Well, you know, we have to, we have to start to learn how to work with our potential that we're not tapping into. Because you could either take the viewpoint that it's gone too far, or you can take the viewpoint let's work at it. And again, one way is is with the spiritual practices that we do, and working with words is a spiritual practice. And when you get triggered, um, instead of shooting the gun, because we do that on a psychic level throughout the day, to um, look at what the, the mantra that I use is express, don't send. Express, don't send. So if, um, if somebody cut me off, um, I'll, I'll project onto them um, a symbol of something very precious to me to stop me from um, shooting the trigger. Abracadabra. Yes. <laughs> I'm speaking with Sandra Ingerman, author of How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, Simple Tools for Personal Transformation. The website is shamanicvisions.com slash Ingerman, I-N-G-E-R-M-A-N, or you can go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm speaking with Sandra Engerman, and we're talking about how we can transform the toxicity in our life. And Sandra, one of the things you, you wrote about was the nature of projection. And you had this story, you told this story on yourself that you were in, I believe you were in, in Switzerland in mm-hmm. 2005 when Wilma hit, the Hurricane Wilma. Tell us that, tell us that story. <clears throat> um, I'm very fortunate. I still have both my parents alive, and they're 92, living wow. in Florida. And I was uh, teaching over in Switzerland, and I knew that Wilma was going to hit. Um, and I tried to watch the news and try, try to find out what was happening, and there was nothing. There was nothing on the news. There was nothing in the newspapers about uh, Wilma. So I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine in Santa Fe, who had gotten trapped down in Florida while she happened to be there visiting her parents. And she said to me, you have no idea how bad things are down here. You have no idea how bad things are down here. And, of course, I was shocked. And I think that after Katrina, the media just started staring away from some of these big uh, disasters. And so I couldn't get to my parents. Um, My brother couldn't get to my parents. He tried to fly down, and the airline said, what are you going to do? There's no um, gasoline for the cars. There's no stoplights. Um, what are you going to do once you get um, out of the airport? And so I just went, I went into such a state imagining these two 92-year-old people terrified, not having any food, not having any water. I just lost it. And luckily, I was working with a very long-term group that was able to support me uh, during this time. And after about 24 hours, I was able to find somebody with a cell phone in Florida who was able to tell me um, how my parents were doing. And they were actually doing fine. There were these young kids who were delivering food. And, um, you know, they, they weren't suffering. I mean, they were suffering from not having hot water and all modern conveniences, but they weren't suffering in the way that I was projecting onto them. Yes. So I just moved into this incredible place of um, depression, thinking about, you know, all the tragedy going on into in the world and everything that was happening to people. I was just, I just moved into a really vulnerable state. And I was leaving Switzerland. I was on an airplane. I was going to meet my husband in Amsterdam. And I realized that I was getting ready to hit a depressed state I hadn't hit in over 20 years. And all of a sudden, I heard a voice in my mind say, you don't have to go there. If if projection, if perception really creates our reality, why don't you change your perception? And what that meant is... Um, I could see my parents and I can see people in the world in their divine light, in their perfection. On a spiritual level, we're all perfect beings um, in our divine light. I can feed that part of people and give them the strength to deal with whatever's going on in their life. Or through pity, I could push them deeper into a hole. And so the example that I give is, If something happens to you, anybody listening to this program, and thousands of people are saying um, things to you, would you rather have thousands and thousands of people pitying you? Or would you rather have thousands of people saying, um, you can do it, you have the strength, um, you have the power? So it was a great teaching for me about 
how oftentimes we project things that aren't even happening, which is what I was doing with my parents. I had moved into a, such a fear state. And I really got on a cellular level that every time we pity somebody, instead of seeing them in their strength and perception, that we're actually pushing them deeper into their hole. So again, as within, so without. Right, exactly. As yeah. above, so below. Mm-hmm. All the. Yeah, and the the power of projection is just incredible because we project everything. Everything is a projection coming from us, and so everything. Everything. Wow, everything. That's a lot. Yeah, everything. <laughs> We're projecting everything, and so when we don't like somebody, it's a part of us that's hidden. When we like somebody, when we adore somebody, it's also a part of us that's hidden. And so um, it's so important right now where we are in the planet to take back our projections and once again to work with our inner states of consciousness. So uh, one of the things you talk about is that uh, having time for reflection. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems to me that certainly one of the, we have to have some space uh, to be able to Reflect, and and we live in a culture that's very rapid, very fast-paced, right? Uh, and is moving, moving, moving all the time, all the time, moving. <laughs> and I think everybody that's listening to this program say, "I don't have enough time." Right. I'm going to do all this stuff. <laughs> right. Well, you know, everything I wrote about in that book, I do in my car. <laughs> um, so what I was trying to look at is, I think that what's happening in our culture is we compartmentalize places of our life of I'm going to do an hour of exercise, and then I'm going to do a half an hour of meditation, and then I'm going to go to work and forget about what energies were around me when I was exercising or when I was doing my meditation. And really the key to life is bringing spiritual practices into your moment-to-moment awareness. And so what I was saying in How to Heal Toxic Thoughts is nothing that I write about takes time. It takes intention to keep the discipline that it's not just about sending out love through meditation at a spiritual group meeting on Friday night or Sunday morning. It's can you do it when somebody's tailgating you? Can you do it in your office when um, people are triggering you because of the conversation that's going on? Can you actually make a commitment to say, yes, I'm hurt by the words that I'm hearing, but I can change that energy into love and light. So that's what's going into my life and out into the room and then out into the world. So how do you deal with, uh, I'm just thinking again, uh, often we take it personal. Mm-hmm. We take it in and say, "How can you say?" You know, like, right. and we take it personal. So, so how how do we transmute that? Per- feel, taking it personal. Well, to to first stop and see that you're reacting. Uh, definitely stop and see that you're reacting. And you know, most people again, if everything's a projection, it's not personal. Um, it's really something that's being projected out onto you. And so, to really work with what's coming up for you, but again, to shift the energy that ends up. So, for me, it sounds like a lot of words, but I'll say um, to myself, I just ask that this energy be transformed to love and light and not hurt myself and not hurt anybody else. It sounds like a lot of words, but it really isn't. And then, of course, um, 
what I do write about is if you really do feel like you're actually under attack, and it really is personal, um, or that you're in a place that's filled with so much negative energy, um, how do you protect yourself in those kinds of situations? One way is to take the high road and to see it's a projection coming from you. But most of us, um, that could be too big of a leap and want to know how to protect ourselves. And so I do write about uh, one method that I learned from a Chumash medicine woman is seeing oneself in a translucent blue egg, which is porous. It's not armor but it stops that uh, negative energy coming into you, and it stops you sending negative um, energy out to other people. Another method that I use a lot is uh, when somebody sends you negative energy, it's like getting a gift in the mail that you don't want. And if you get a box in the mail that you don't want, you usually put return to sender on the box and drop it back in the mailbox. So I tell people if an energy is coming at you that you don't want, put return to sender, but please put return to sender with love so that you're not now <laughs> <That's great. laughs> re-engaging in the psychic return warfare. Return <laughs> to sender with love. Uh, so what about the new evolution of consciousness? What do you see? Well, definitely, I think where we're moving to on a new evolution of consciousness is realizing that we're more than an ego. We're more than our bodies. We're more than our minds. We're more than our past experiences, that we are spiritual beings, and spiritual beings are spiritual light. And so I think that the more that we can move into that state, that moves us into more of a principle of unity, a principle of oneness, so that we're not fighting people for, um, over resources, but we're joining together as communities to help to find harmonious solutions to the problems that are happening on the planet. And also that we realize that everything in the invisible that happens on the invisible level manifest into something physically. And so that would mean that people pay more attention to what they're thinking about and the words that they're using so that um, until we do that, we can talk to we're blue in the face that we want to see peace on the planet. And we're not going to have peace until people find that inner peace inside of themselves through learning how to work with their thoughts and um, learning how to work with their words. So where I see us moving to is more working a community-based to help each other, not from a power over point of view, but that we all have a piece of the puzzle, that we are spiritual beings um, that aren't as fragile as we like to think ourselves to be as these egos and bodies, and that we bring our spirit together um, in unity to create the world that we want to be living in right now. We should be focusing on what is working, not what isn't working, and to really start to feed what is working and the energies that we know will work. Well, it certainly makes sense. Mm-hmm. May it be so. May we all do that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I know, I do believe we are going to do it. I do see a good future. Sandra, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been great speaking with thanks. you. I've been talking with Sandra Ingerman, author of How to Heal Toxic Thoughts, Simple Tools for Personal Transformation, a host of other books, including Soul Retrieval, Mending the Fragmented Self, A Fall to Grace, Medicine for the Earth, which Sandra mentioned several times. And this book is published by Sterling. 
It's available. Um, and if you'd like more information about the work of Sandra, you can go to her website, which is shamanicvisions.com slash Ingerman, I-N-G-E-R-M-A-N, or you can go to the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3202. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.